You're listening to Work Tape, episode 16. Welcome to the Work Tape podcast, episode 16 already. And with me today is Anthony. Anthony, man, tell us a little bit about yourself. You loaned me some gear, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I let you borrow the uh, Korg Mini Log, which was my very first synthesizer. Bought this like about four years ago. Fell in love. After I got this, fell in love with synthesizers. Bought another one. Bought a Moog Sub 37. After that, I got myself an OB6 by um, Daysmith Instruments, collaboration with Tom Oberheim. After that one, I got a Prophet X, which is a Daysmith instrument as well. So you have the Prophet X and the OBX. Yeah. Uh, what was it? OXA? No, it's the OB6. Tom Oberheim had gone on the hiatus of making synthesizers for yeah. like, I think, 15 years. Really? And when he came back, Dave Smith got him on board. He's like, you know what? Let's let's collaborate. We'll make a baby together. And they pretty much <laughs> made the OB6, which Dude. is uh, it's pretty OB6 is pretty much a profit and uh, OBXA. In, in one machine. Solid, dude. Mm-hmm. And you and you like that? Well, it's not like both of them in one machine, but it's like a hybrid. Like, there are still things that the Profit 5 or Profit 10 can do more than the OB6, and things that the OBXA can do more than the OB6. Do you have a favorite? Uh, right now? As yeah. My synthesizer? I think yeah. the OB6. Okay, solid. OB6 is so sick. Like, I just love the, the Profit X is digital. It's like a hybrid. It's like digital analog, but I, I think it's more digital. You don't really use software emulation that much, right? Uh, no, the reason is because I just got myself a laptop. I haven't had like great computers to record on. So the only thing I've been using is a A-Track recorder, which a Tascam DP03, I believe. Right. And uh, I just got used to recording it. Just After a while, I learned it so well that it just comes natural to me. I don't even have to be looking at the buttons. I'll just click, click, and record. and um. But I I would like to learn the software. So you like samplers though, right? Uh, I do have a couple. Like I have one sampler at the moment. Oh, actually the Prophet X. That's a sampler too. I haven't really like got into the mix of that specific machine sampling. But I do have a Roland SP44. And I have put like some tracks in there or, uh, or random stuff from TV shows. Just little samples. Wow. Have you tried the OP1 yet? Oh, no. I want to though. It's... <laughs> Like how we were talking about earlier, like that little machine is a, it's a beast for what it can do. Like it's, it definitely blows a lot of synthesizers out of the water. You feel like the grand dollar tag is justifiable? Uh, <laughs> like from the videos that I've seen and like what, what it can do, uh, maybe. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I, I, I wish there was like a little bit more, <laughs> like a, a downgraded version, like a better affordable one, but. Wait, from like the same company or was it like a knockoff? Oh, no, I wish there was one. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I was going like to say, a... okay, who's making like a bootleg version or, or just some sort of... Uh... Yeah, like uh, make like a 500 version without the keys. And that way I can just hook it up to a MIDI controller. No, it's just like a block of plastic. <laughs> yeah, just a block it's of like plastic. literally just the... It's the same. It's a plastic that they use, but it's, they haven't made it yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I still have my MPC. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Amazing. It's uh, one of the original samplers that came out the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Have you used one before? Uh, no, uh, not yet. I've heard so many good things about it. It's pretty much the grandfather of samplers. 
Yeah, I like it. And I was telling you earlier about this, but probably my biggest gripes about it, if I were to say something negative and everything else is great. But maybe two things. One, I think Akai... (laughs) See, they're never going to sponsor me for this one. (laughs) Akai, you make great stuff, but I think you guys could do better with some of the customer stuff. Actually, they're very reachable on the phone. Mm -hmm. So I take that back. And I've had some agents at Akai help me out greatly. So you guys are fantastic. But... They make good products. Like I've had an Akai MIDI keyboard. Yeah, Akai, they make good products, but there's a lack of information when you're trying to look things up. Mm -hmm. And I even think MPC beats the software. eh, It could use an overhaul. And I feel like they're stuck in the aughts. Mm -hmm. Like we're in 2020 is already. Do you think because they've been around so long that they just expect people to know how to use their stuff? (laughs) When you get an MPC, I feel like part of it is a name. Like you are buying in a name, in the name of, (laughs) No, Um, like you're definitely buying the name. However, I do think that the MPC price tag is justified despite the big price. Even if you took the name away, I think what the MPC is capable of is quite a lot. Mm -hmm. But aside from a lack of information online about Akai products, and I do think a lot of it is Akai directly as well. At the same token, the second thing is the learning curve. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many different ways to do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's cool. I think it's great. But I think it can be a bit confusing because <laughs> I was telling you about how it'll have a sequence. It'll have groups. It'll label things a particular way. And I just got confused by it. And to be fair, the kind of artist I am, particularly when it comes with music, but just everything. But with music, since we're talking about that. I don't care about the name of things. I just want to know oh, yeah, same here. how to do something. I don't yeah. really care about yeah, labels. Yeah, keep it simple. Like, yeah. Like, make it as simple as possible. Especially, like, for me, like, yeah, I'll, I'll get, like, new gear here and there, but I don't want to go through the whole manual. I just want to... I'll look up a video on YouTube, and then I kind of just get, like, the basics. But, yeah, learning a specific gear can take a while. I think it's valuable. Oh, yeah, Definitely. But I just feel like um, I think manuals are very useful. And I don't think that companies should dumb down their products for the sake of just throwing out the manual. But I do think that companies could do much better making their products user friendly. Mm-hmm. Because some companies, it feels like they've abandoned uh, their customer base completely. It's funny I say that, but I do tend to look up the manual for OB6 like pretty frequently. Because you enjoy it. Yeah. I just want to learn it like... After I bought those, like, I got to myself no more since. Like, I really want to Yeah, but did you hold to that? Did you hold to that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a question. I'm trying. I'm You're gonna, trying. I'm going to try. You're going to give in, probably. <laughs> there, there is, like, a couple more that I have been, like, looking at lately. Like, the Moog Matriarch. That one's oh, beautiful. Uh, gorgeous. Right now, I'm trying to build the uh, three-set Moog modulator. It's it's a, I have the Moog subharmonic on, but I'm missing the DFAM and the Mother 32. They, they go hand in hand. But I'm trying to hold off on those like, wow. as much as I can until I, I learn the gear that I have at the moment. So the uh, the Roland sequencer that you have, did you say that you were ordering one or you said that you already have it? I have the old older version. But you're going to get the new version. Yeah, the new one. It okay. came out like a month ago, which is the uh, Roland SP44MK2. And uh, it's for 400, 500. That one. Oh, you know what? It's actually less expensive than the older version. Really? The old, yeah, the older version, I believe it's like 550 to 600 and the new one on day 1 when it came out, it was 499. Uh how capable and it's, and do it's you a, think it is compared to the the old one? 
like from what I've seen, like the videos, better. People, yeah, it's like way better. Like when yeah. I record something on, on the 404A, mm-hmm. it's a little slow. Like that's the only thing that kind of bugs me that I, I don't like to use that as much. But I wish at the time when I had it, I wish they would like kind of like speed up the uh, uploading process into it. Yeah. Uploading, downloading. And with the MK2, I heard they fixed that. And from what I've seen, like it's a lot quicker. Hardware tech blows me away with how something can be so quick when it first comes out. And then five years later, it's like oh, yeah. a snail. Yeah. I don't know how. It's weird. I, maybe it goes to show, okay, yes, we're making advances with technology. But it kind of goes to show how easy to please I think we are. Yeah. Because then we're like, oh my goodness, this is or so I, all think- the rage. Like this is fantastic. And then the new version comes out three years later. And then you look at the old version and it's so slow. I think like one of the reasons too is money. Like I just feel like these companies want to like <laughs> like progress as fast <laughs> as possible so they can get that money out of your pocket. That's very true. You know, like the SP44A, uh, that one came out like I think it was like three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they already pumping out the MK2, which I'm glad because uh, it's it, it can do like way more than, than the one I got than the A. But for now, you're trying to hold off on buying. Hardware. Oh, yeah. The MK2 is the last thing I'll buy for a minute. Hopefully. Yeah. Crossing my fingers. <laughs> so you have a decent collection of hardware equipment, right? Uh, Yeah. So do you typically right. read the manual? Like your OBX? Or, uh... Yeah, I, I kind of like half read the manual. Gotcha. So I'll like, I'll open it and then I'll see like how to like kind of pretty much the startup basics. Like I bought a mixer. I didn't really read the manual on the mixer. That one just came naturally. Like I just... Kind of plugged in everything and I just kind of looked at the interface and bam, go. So sure. I, I literally didn't read the manual on that one. And then uh, I have a Korg vocal drum. That one I did read the manual for probably like a day. And then I got it down. I read it for a day, got it down. And I didn't read the whole thing. I just kind of skimmed through it. But for the Korg mini log, I actually didn't read the manual. I, I looked up some YouTube videos and I just saw people kind of tweaking with it. And then that's how I learned that one. And I and I think you learn best if you just play. Just take take out the hardware and just kind of look. Got it. And I'm talking more about synths. Like with the sampler, like an MPC or the SP44A, I'm pretty sure those, you, you do need to read the manuals. But yeah. Like a synthesizer, <laughs> in my case, you just got to play. Just play, mess with the knobs here and there, and you'll pretty much get it down. So for the MPC, it was kind of a mix. It was the same thing where the manual will definitely benefit me and anyone else trying to learn that thing. <laughs> but that thing has quite the learning curve. And oh, yeah. I'm pr- it looks intimidating. Yeah, I stand by what I said. It kind of is a nightmare to figure out. But once you figure it out, it's pretty simple. And so I wish that, I wish that learning by feel and learning by experimentation in particular things because mm-hmm. there are certain things I don't need to learn from experimenting. I already saw one person do that dumb thing. I'm not going to repeat what they did, right? You can learn from head knowledge and you can learn from theory. Yes. But I do think in the music world, because music is an art form, I believe with art, learning by feel, it can work in some cases. I think it's good to have a teacher. But I think what happens is people overemphasize the theoretical part about it. Like, oh, you have to know the theory. You have to know all of these rules. But what happens is you get these people who go to college or they end up in these higher positions. But 
all they know how to do is crank the knobs the right way, but they can't really feel their way through it. Yeah. And yes, I think feelings <laughs> have become cliched and corny in a lot of ways, but I think in the area of art, feelings kind of are king mm-hmm. or queen, whatever. But you know what I mean? I feel like with feel, <laughs> I feel like with feel, actually, no, I know that feel has given birth to a lot of the best parts of not just art, but obviously music itself. I guess I meant to switch that around. So not just music, but just art totally. When you say feel, do you mean kind of like go with the flow? Yes. So I agree with the with the notion or the... Uh, I agree with the saying, before you break the rules, you have to know what they are. Mm-hmm. I think that's generally okay, true. Yeah. But you know, to be fair, that's a good saying. I believe... Like when someone says they're self-taught, are they really self-taught though? I mean, you're still following what other people have done before you. Yeah. It's not like you're inventing your own new rules. Mm-hmm. So if someone, for instance, has never read a music book that's a theory one, and they just play music and they know how to play C major, right? Maybe they don't know the name of the chord. They don't know C major, but yeah. they know how to put together C major or C, C6. C6 and A minor 9. When you put those together… It's kind of like knowing how to talk, but not how to write. Yeah, okay, that's a, that's a good one. So you know how to talk, or maybe you're really good with your speech, but you don't know the rules. Mm-hmm. But you you know how to, uh, you've listened enough where you know how to speak properly. Yeah. And so I'm kind of that way when I engineer. I love how I'm giving myself away on here because people <laughs> trust me with their mixes. But you know what? You should trust me with your mix. Oh yeah, you're, you're good. Well, I go by feel. I totally go by feel. I feel like <laughs> a lot of people would not like that. They're like, oh, well, Isaac needs to know that he needs to take out the EQ at this part and then he needs to put on a bunch of compressors here. And I'm like, dude, I will play that game a bit, but it doesn't rule my method. What rules my method is, does it serve the song or the track? Yeah. No, that track you showed me earlier, That uh, did you finish that? Is that the, yeah. the final? Yeah, yeah. That's really good. <laughs> like when I mix stuff, like, and I, I've never mixed anyone else's stuff, just mine. Like, after a while, yeah, like I was I was kind of like a perfectionist or I was kind of judging myself on how it sounded because everyone's ear is different. Yes, they are. But when I mix my music, like I'm doing it like the way I want it to sound. Like I don't want it. I'm not trying to do it to please uh, John. or See, so what you're doing is you're going by what you like. Yeah. Yeah. That is what drives your work when you are doing that. Yes. I would say it's the same for me. And I think a lot of the greatest... Again, it's it's conjecture, but I still think it's educated conjecture. I truly believe that the greatest artists, they at least intuitively know the rules. Even oh, if yeah, they didn't definitely. formally learn yes. the rules. I, I, I think it's important to study it. To study I think rules. it's important to study it, but I do believe the greatest artists of all time, so many of them just have that intuition. They have that natural inclination toward that art form, whatever it is. So their body or whatever, they're just naturally in tune with the rules. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They got that feel, whether it's comedy or it's music or it's food, they know what flavors and sounds and colors work together the right way. And so they go based off that. And I think I'm definitely like that. But even a lot of people that I look up to, not all of them are really that technical. They just kind of know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think you probably have that in many ways as well. I just think that what happens is that people get too caught up in the book. Yeah. I think going by the letter of the law only works when it comes to morality. But when it comes to like art, which is mostly subjective, when it comes to subjective things, I don't think you should get caught up in rules. I really don't think so. I think they work. And I think rules are a guide. But um, 
at least for me, and this is just personal, uh, I take more of a... <laughs> I've definitely oversimplified this concept before. And so please don't judge me too much because you have to be careful. But I'm just going to say it. Um, I'm much more jazz-minded than I am classically-minded. Oh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I, I just want to, like, whatever sounds good or... Or even if you make a mistake, like, because there'll be a lot of times when I'm recording and, I'm, and I'll play the wrong chord or the wrong key. Yeah. But at the same time, it still sounds okay. You know, okay enough to leave it in there. Right. I feel like sometimes mistakes can be blessings. Like, maybe it'll sound... Um, that's how a lot give of... It like a like a little uh, kick, like a, a spice. But that's you know? how a lot of artists go by. They, they go by vibe. Mm-hmm. And even just, just with music. Because um, sometimes I feel like even if you try to perfect the song... It like doesn't sound sounds, that good. No. Yeah, it sounds right. like very robotic. You know? Yeah, it does sound robotic. Right. There's such thing as almost too much perfection. Yes. Yeah. Um, or it's being too being too symmetrical. Mm-hmm. I think symmetry is important because uh, music is symmetrical with the rhythm part. Mm-hmm. Rhythm is basically symmetry, right? It, yeah. It's evened out. But sometimes it's nice when that guitar comes in too early or it's nice when that piano isn't even mixed properly. Sometimes it just works. And that's where the the feel comes in. Is that oh, we didn't see this in the book, sir? Like it's because it's not in the book. It it's just it just works. Yeah. In fact, like you were just saying, like even in electronic music, I've noticed that people like to humanize things. Why do they call oh, yeah. it humanizing? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like with me, like how you said, like yeah, to an extent, follow the law. Like I'm, like everything I I've learned, I just kind of winged it. But I do believe that there's always room to learn. Like, never cap out what you think you know. You know, there's always going to be someone out there. Yeah, no cap. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like I may know somewhat of synthesizers, but I'm pretty sure if there's a class out there, pretty much getting a group of people and just studying the same thing, you'll, I'm sure you'll learn a lot more stuff than learning it on your own. Yeah, and back to the classical thing because people can take it the wrong way. Um, that's not to say that classical can't be improvisational and that jazz doesn't have roles. Mm-hmm. Um, they both basically are the other, you know? I mean, <laughs> I hate that whole, oh, well, everything's one and the same. I don't believe that at all. So I jazz is jazz, classical is classical. They are very distinct things, but they do, they're both music, right? Mm-hmm. There what are about- things where they're the same. And Classical does have elements of jazz and jazz has oh, yeah, elements of classical, definitely. but they definitely approach the art form of music differently. I was thinking about it like maybe classical music back then, it was like their jazz. You know, like it was it just, rebellious. It just kind of, yeah, like it just kind of, they, they were just playing and just kind of flowed like, oh, this sounds good. I'm going to keep it that way. And they just kind of went with it. You know, it was like their version of jazz. And then now in our era, we call that classical. Right, where it's formal and it's interesting. You know, I want to do my research on that one. I don't want to have too much conjecture on that because I really want to do my research there because yeah. I do remember hearing vaguely that classical was apparently rebellious for its time. And yeah. classical yeah, like, is like oversimplifying Mozart. it's oversimplifying the genre. There's the romantic stuff. There's uh the what the Baroque? The Baroque era, yeah. Renaissance. Renaissance, yeah. There's there's a lot. And there are different styles of jazz around the world. In fact, jazz and classical have both been dubbed as a type of folk music. I feel like jazz is pretty much like as free as you get. Jazz to me is more of a folk music than classical though. But maybe you could even argue that classical was a kind of folk music. I don't know. I don't really know. I'd have to look it up more. I'm fascinated by the thought. Like Mozart, like he wrote his first uh, like piece, what, when he was like six, seven? He was really young. Yeah, I want to quit on life. 
Actually, sorry, that wasn't a cry for help. <laughs> was it, maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating right there, but he was young. He was young. He was a he was, prodigy, he was pretty young. Right? Yeah, he was a prodigy. So, like, I'm guessing, like, he was just playing with his piano. Like, Do you like the prodigy? Oh, I love the prodigy. Okay. Yeah. Well, I take you one prodigy and raise you one Junkie XL. Oh, Junkie XL is dope. Actually, the very first rave I, I went to, Junkie XL was playing. Really? So dope. He's good. Musically, he's my hero because if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have gotten so heavily into drum and bass and electronica. Oh, my goodness. That Moby sound. Oh, yeah. Prodigy's good, but <laughs> I, I guess like you shouldn't pit. They're you pioneers. Like, they're the they're, pioneers. Like, Junkie XL almost. They are pioneers. The thing is, there's always that band that gets big and the one that doesn't get as big. And Prodigy got big, or at least they had some considerable um, attention. Mm-hmm. But Junkie XL, in my opinion, you compare Saturday Teenage Kick to the Fat of the Land. And I think Fat of the Land was either 96. No, it was 96 or 97. Yeah. But Saturday Teenage Kick was 97. And I think Fat of the Land is 97. And so they both were released within like a month or two or maybe a few months, maybe even half a year apart. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, you can look it up on Wikipedia. Not that everything is reliable, but I think when it comes to music, it's generally reliable when it comes to album releases. But Fat of the Land, to my knowledge, was released months after Saturday. And so when I listen to Saturday you pretty much get the gist of Prodigy. But I, I almost feel like... The album Saturday? Saturday's a better album to me. It's it, it's more like a... Honestly, I haven't checked it out, but now I I, I am going to check it out. Check it out. Fat of the Land's good, but I am definitely Team Junkie. <laughs> like, I would love to have him on here. Like, he's a musical hero of mine. Like, his mind is amazing. I, I think he did that with more consistency. Uh, the album had more continuity. It, it just felt like everything fit better. I think Prodigy's cool, but it felt like things didn't flow as well as Saturday. But again, everyone knows Fat of the Land. It's oh, just, yeah. it is what classic. it is. It's not a bad album. I just have my preferences. Oh, you showed me an artist. I forgot his name, but he sounded a lot like Junkie XL and it was good. You're talking about Andy Hunter. Yeah, Andy yeah, Hunter. Okay. So yeah, he's good too. That's what I'm saying is Junkie was is it, a, What's that music genre? It's like jungle music? Yeah, jungle, drum and bass, which is mostly the junkie and prodigy sound, um, but electronica and dance, that UK electronica sound. Yeah. Like the Moby, uh, who else? I know Darude. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the Matrix days, right? <laughs> the late, <laughs> the mid-late aughts. No, sorry. The, the l- 90s, the late 90s. Actually, no, it's a mid, it's a mid-early aughts, but also the mid-late 90s. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I meant to say. Um, junkie was probably somewhat of a ghost influencer to me because I did read his name as a kid. I was like, Junkie XL. I didn't understand artist names. I didn't understand albums. I didn't understand singles. I didn't... I just would oh, see... same here. Yeah, I didn't even know how music was recorded at the time. I used to think that with music... Because as a kid, you're like, wait, where's the music coming from? And all I could envision was they had like this boom box, right? When we had boom boxes. <laughs> and it was sitting on a stool with like a light. And it had like a mic to the boombox. And I was like, okay, but where does that music come from? And so it was like an infinite loop of just boomboxes being mic'd. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I thought of when I was probably six, seven, or eight. <laughs> you know? I didn't know that there was someone who was in the studio recording it. I didn't understand an NPC. I didn't understand any of this stuff. And so during those days, mm-hmm. when I was around that age, I came across Junkie. And uh, 
I liked it. And I didn't understand the artist name thing. I was like, Junkie XL. I was like, I was like, okay, I don't understand what that means. But I like whatever this thing is, it sounds cool. And so I got into that sound. I was playing a lot of Need for Speed. I was playing a lot of those uh, racing games uh, when everything was electronic and jungle and drum and bass. And so that was chill, right? Mm-hmm. But then after that, I discovered that album by Andy Hunter, Exodus, which is from 2002. And that was his debut. That was good. It's a good and album. The music was featured on, uh, which I found out later, it was featured on Need for Speed Underground, either one or two and or. And it was featured on uh, The Italian Job, that movie from 2002, three, four, five, one of those years. You know what? A lot of the music I discovered is probably from video games. Like racing, video actually, I think honestly, I think that's it's mostly how I car got games. Into electronic, though. Mostly car games, yeah. yeah same here, same here. Like a uh, Midnight Club Two. Midnight Club Two has like one of the best soundtracks. Like I think that that's the video game that really got me into electronic music, like trance, techno. Oh, um, Thomas Bankalter from Daft Punk. He has a couple tracks on there. Oh, he that does. was his solo stuff. Oh, yeah, and that's how I discovered him. I'm like, oh, I really like this guy. And at the time, I wasn't that big on Daft Punk. I looked him up, and he's like, oh, he's a He's a member of Daft Punk. And then that kind of snowballed into me becoming a pretty big Daft Punk fan. Anthony, you could talk about this for a long time, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah? Almost. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's definitely save that for the next one because I think it's a perfect segue. Yeah, I think it's absolutely sure. great. All of you guys, we really hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I don't really know how your Thanksgiving was. These are recorded before, so... I hope I had a good Thanksgiving. Anthony, I hope you had a good oh, yeah. Thanksgiving by the time that this is released. But this was 16 and this is Anthony. You're going to be back with us next week. Oh, I'm down. Yeah, yeah let's dude. do it. So uh, you guys have a great day. Peace. We're going to talk about... Uh, Happy ele- Thanksgiving. Y'all. We're going to talk about electronic music. Let's do it. Later. <laughs> Some dapple.